Hi, Panaki. I'm truly stoked for today's episode uh, and really for, for two reasons. So first, uh, we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, uh, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging in the workplace. And it's a topic that I think it has seen some amazing evolution over just even the past three years, but it's such a nuanced and often misunderstood area of focus for a lot of organizations. Um, and what I'm most looking forward to is, is talking not so much about why this is important uh, in the workplace. I'm, I'm kind of, to be honest with you, Panaki, I'm, I'm sort of operating on the uh, potentially naive assumption that anyone that's listening to our podcast would understand why it's important. What I'm thinking about is I want to really delve into more about the how. Like, how do we get this right? How do we sometimes get this wrong in the workplace? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, because it all kind of boils down to like the sense of belonging that we have, right? Like, you know, can I be myself at work? Do I belong? And what does that what does that actually mean, especially for folks who are on that marginalized spectrum of the side of things, right? The the non the the non-majority or the minority group. So love this topic. Love your first reason for liking this. Let's talk about reason number two. Well, and the reason number two, and it's really the highlight, I'm I'm super, super excited, is because uh, we're hosting a special guest on this episode. And, you know, Panaki, you and I, we, we both have lived experiences as um, visible minorities, but I would hesitate to say that we're experts in the world, this world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we're just so lucky to have a true legend and thought leader in this space. Um, and so Priya Bates is joining us today. Priya, uh, if for those the, the few of you that might not know who she is, she's an award-winning communications pro. She's president of Inner Strength Communication, based out of Toronto, um, and along with her business partner Advita Patel, they've also founded an organization called A Leader Like Me. Which, and I'm just going to read this because I don't want to mess this up. It's an empowering community driving global diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging through community conversation courage and confidence um, and as if Priya hasn't already accomplished enough um, she's also just released a new book and for those of you in organizations that are still looking to figure out how do we best uh, incorporate and drive uh, a culture of inclusion uh, diversity equity and belonging uh, Priya has just released her new book it's called building a culture of inclusivity and this is available right now uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, your local bookstore, you'll find it. Um, and people will be buzzing about this book for, for some time now because it is so important. And uh, Priya and Vita have done such a great job. But before we, we, we jump in with, with Priya Panaki, let's chat a little bit about the why. Why are we even here? Why, why, is, it, why is it so important? When you and I first started talking about this um, topic with Brielle, why, why did we feel that this was so important that we talk about this with our listeners? So interesting because, right, like belonging is is so interesting. And, and especially because it comes out from like so many different vantage points, right? Like, like I, I became really curious on like what belonging means to other people. Like for me, belonging means something really interesting and different. Like I, I am their uh, firstborn in my family in the United States. So belonging was strange to me. Not only that, but I, there is actually no one in my family that's roughly my age. 
So like I, I really didn't feel super belonging in my family who are like all immigrants, but I was born here. I didn't actually belong in India because I'm American. I grew up in a very diverse community um, of, of, of folks. And, you know, so for me, as I kind of grew up in this, I kind of come to this idea that, you know what, I really don't belong anywhere. But if I don't belong anywhere, then I belong everywhere. So then I, you know, instantly just became good. And I was, I was the guy who would like be able to jump from like click to click and, you know, lunchroom table to lunchroom table and hang out with everybody because that's what I enjoyed most was just like kind of bringing people together and just, you know, talking with folks and having friends everywhere. But that's that's kind of like my sense of belonging. So it was, I think this is really interesting because I would love to hear what like other people's senses of belonging here, like yourself, Chris and and Priya. I mean, I'm so glad that you're here, um, you know, as a serial entrepreneur and just someone I've known for years. I'm so excited to get your views on this and, and, and thoughts on this topic. So that, that's what that's that's what I think drove us here. Well, I'm excited to be here, too. So uh, I know that, uh, you know, when you start by introducing me as legend, that's a little, uh, you know, you set the bar high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried here. Um, uh, and the one thing I will say, you're saying, uh, you know, we have done a lot of research. Advita Patel and I wrote our book. We spent the last year doing a lot of research in the space. We don't consider ourselves DEI experts. And we have, you know, counted and listened to and read, you know, information from those we consider DEI experts in the space. And the, the role is changing over the last few years. But what we do consider ourselves experts in are employee engagement, change management, and internal communication. And diversity, equity, inclusion, the changes that have happened, you know, it's the, we're recording this a day before the third anniversary of the, the uh, murder of George Floyd. And what's happened since then has just really accelerated the DEI conversation and has really driven change. And there's a lot of resistance, but we need to work and be very purposeful about driving the change we want to see. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Priya. And I, I, I genuinely feel that as a society, we've made just great big jumps and leaps in terms of evolving and just getting in general smarter. And, and to your point about being an expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, I guess the reality is really none of us are really truly experts. I think there's so much learning that all of us can do. Um, and despite, you know, as much progress as, as we made, I, I, I as a visible minority, I'm, I'm I, most of the time, I forget that I'm a visible minority. I'm proud uh, of my Korean heritage. Uh, I'm proud to be Asian. Um, but sometimes I get reminders that I'm not exactly like everybody else. And that's the kind of thing that we'll talk about. I mean, I... I it's called microaggressions. Years ago, before the pandemic. <laughs> well, for sure, for sure. And I, years ago, I remember I was at a conference. Uh, this is before the pandemic. I was at a conference in Paris and it was amazing. We were just having so much fun. We had a, a small group from Canada, from Toronto, uh, going to this conference. And we were at the hotel bar one night. Um, and I was at the table with uh, a few of, the, of our Canadian group. And a, a lady um, approached our table. And I was at the end of the table. And there was a, there was a, a chair beside me that was, uh, that was empty. And she said, can I join you? And I said, yeah, of course. We'd love to, to, to have you. you know, why don't you sit down? So she was part of the conference as well. And she asked me, um, so, so where are you from? I said, oh, we're, we're from, uh, from Canada. 
and she paused and she said, but, but where are you from? And I said, well, we're from Toronto. And we, we sort of had this weird impasse and she still looked bewildered. And then I, I thought about it for a half second. Then I realized, oh, I see what's going on. I told her, I said, so I was born and raised in Canada, but my parents were born and raised in Korea. And I think that sort of uh, got to what she was really trying to get at is it's this quote unquote question, where are you really from, even though I'm, I'm you know, born and raised in Canada? And she um, she said, oh, OK, yeah, Korea. Um, it, it's fantastic because I, I, I was thinking that your English was really good. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, I, I would hope so. I mean, I was born and raised here. I would honestly really hope that my English is pretty good since I spent, you know, 40 years of my life uh, just doing only English. And so I'm, I was uh, a little bit taken aback, but I, I said to her, I said, where are you from? And uh, she said uh, she was somewhere from the, the southern United States. And I didn't want to belabor the point and say, well, where are you really from? Uh, but I did sort of a little bit jokingly said, uh, your English is pretty good, too. Um, and uh, we, we left it at that. But my boss was at the table as well. And she wasn't part of the conversation. But when I told her about it afterwards, uh, she was she was infuriated. And this is well after. I mean, we had already gone our, our separate ways, but she she really had a hard time with that. And, you know, I don't know if the right approach is to be angry at ignorance, but it's certainly, I, I think it was a missed opportunity for me to call her in and say, listen, you know, it's, uh, it, it's great that you're curious about someone's, someone's background, but, uh, you have to exercise a little bit of caution and, and with some of the assumptions that you make about command of the English language and, and things like that. And anyways, it's, it's, it's part of where I think, um, Panaki, we, we, this is such an important episode for us, and we wanted to uh, get it right. One of the things that I realized coming into this was I felt I always feel a little bit nervous whenever I talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I also wonder sometimes, is that even the right way to feel about this? Should people ever feel nervous talking about this? And so that's why I think this conversation is so important. Right on. So many quick little things to unpack there. I think it was really interesting, your story, because it, as it kind of pertains to belonging, it's like... You have a sense of your belonging, and this person thought your sense of belonging was somewhere else. And uh, I think the uncomfortable thing you just mentioned, I think I, I want to hear definitely Priya's point on this and, and her sense of belonging and what she thinks of that. But I think there is a level of uncomfortability because it's like there's no way, like we said, that we could know everything of all cultures and everything to that effect. So let me let me introduce ourselves here. So welcome, everybody, to Why Does It Feel So Wrong? In each episode, we're talking about the things in the workplace that just don't feel right, that don't feel human to us. The world is changing really fast, and yet it feels like we're still using these like old school, outdated practices that really just haven't been evolved much. And no one really seems to question it, and they need to be questioned now. And that's what Chris and I are out to do. We're not saying that, you know what, we got all of the answers, but you know what, we're creating a safe space enough uh, so we feel comfortable enough to just ask some of these questions and provoke some of these thoughts. So join us on our journey. I'm, again, super glad to have Priya uh, here with us today. Priya, what is your sense of like belonging or what do you think about what 
belonging is in organizations or in the work you do. I'm curious to see what you found out about that. I think, uh, you know, the one thing about belonging, uh, it's, uh, and even the DEI conversation is that it's not just professional, it's personal. And we talk about this a lot in the book, that what we bring to any experience is our history and our experience and our stories that happened before we stepped in to that, through that door or in with those people or sitting at that table. And, and I think that uh, what belonging means that you can be yourself, you can bring all of it. And I think that's where we're headed. We're not there yet. <laughs> where we're headed and where we're trying to go is where that diversity, where those experiences, where those opinions are valued in those doors and in that uh, um, around those tables and that they're elevated is kind of what you talked about, Panaki, that because I felt I never felt fit anywhere, I figured I fit fit everywhere. And that was a big leap for you because a lot of people don't get there. I feel, you know, a kinship with you with that thinking that if I can navigate these different places, it's my superpower. <laughs> Right? It's a little bit of superpower. But a lot of people say, if I'm not accepted in the spaces, I become somebody different. I cocoon. I, I, I don't show up with all of the expertise and experience and, and life skills that, and, and knowledge that I can to friendships and to organizations. You know, so, so I want to feel like I can show up with the best of who I am. I guess, you know, as you're saying that and everything too, uh, it's making me feel that um, some of it has had to take some work, right? Like there's certain relationship groups where I feel like I belong with and it's easy and fun. There's others that are like new ones that I have to find myself in and also get myself comfortable and okay and open to it. Uh, Definitely like examples of where I grew up. I grew up in a city town and now I'm in a rural town, much different type of population. And, I'm, and I've, so one, it's even made my, uh, I guess, circle of friends and social circle even more diverse. Uh, but it did, t you know, it does take this little bit of like, I don't know what's the word, uh, mental fortitude, vulnerability, openness. Um, honesty to, to get there. And, and that does take some, some confidence, work. courage. <laughs> yeah. As much as you could like muster up, right. You know, cause just to like talk to the right people and say the right things and everything to that effect and, and be okay to make some mistakes. Right. Like I, you know, I have been corrected, uh, in, uh, in things that I've said. And, you know, I think it's important to understand where that's coming from and not, and, and take it as a learning, uh, advice right there too. Because it's always learning. Yeah. One of the things I think we all have in common is we all have teenage kids, right? <laughs> right. How many times do we get co corrected by them? Because their minds are so much more open than ours were growing up. I think they're just getting us back for the years of <laughs> us trying to tell them what to do. That's what, that's what I think teenage <laughs> I wonder, sometimes I wonder in uh, corporate culture, because, you know, the, the, the title of this podcast is Why Does It Feel So Wrong to Be Yourself at Work? And I, I don't know, Priya, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, but do you feel like um, often there's a pressure to act 
white or to act male um, in order to be perceived in a specific way uh, within organizations? It's not just the pressure. That's what we've been told, right? In order to be successful, here's what you need to be. You know, whether that's subconsciously or overtly, that's been the narrative. It's been, if we looked back at, uh, you know, women's magazines on how do you drive success, most of those, you know, the advice was based on a dominant male culture point of view. And that's what we have been taught. And we have to unlearn. There's so much, you know, that we have to unlearn of what we thought was the standard. So I would say, yeah, I mean, in life and at work, you know, I, uh, I don't know about uh, you, but I lost my language. I tried to step away from my culture growing up because what I was seeing and hearing is the way to fit in was to be more like them and be less like yourself. We were just talking about like Hollywood plays an interesting role there too because you were talking about growing up. I remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out and all of a sudden everybody thought they were eating monkey brains and (laughs) things like that for dinner. I'm like, no, it's not. That's a movie. Absolutely. Right. So, so I think that, you know, when it comes to corporate, uh, corporate uh, cultures and organizational cultures, whether it's corporations or NGOs or government, it seems to be the case. I work with all kinds of organizations. Uh, you know, what we've d- done in the past is, is try to create culture fit. That was the term. Let's create culture fit. And what people mist- and what we found in terms of hiring is people hire people like themselves because they feel that's a part of culture fit. And the mid- and what we're starting to talk about now is culture add. So how let's still have a set of values that we all believe in, you know, respect and diversity are probably two of them. Um, let's all have a, you know, a strategy and direction and a mission and vision, but then let's create a group of different thinkers in order to drive innovation and results, because that's where we're going to get the ideas, not by doing the same thing over and over again. Was it Einstein that said the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again? Right. So so and that's what we've been caught in. Like, look at our communications teams. Look at our field right now. Look at HR teams. They're the ones making decisions. Look at leadership teams. It's changing, but slowly it's still in performative stages where we're checking boxes, but we're not actually taking advantage of what's possible. And I think there is a lot of like good change happening. It's happening slow. Or I shouldn't say slow. I should just say faster than we would like it to happen. Uh, But, you know, what dawned on me not too long ago was how how new this stuff really is. Right. Like um, and, you know, kind of we we talk about even from like, you know, gender thing, race thing, LGBTQ side of the fence. These are all movements that happened between the last like 15, 30 10 years, right? And and that that's pretty, that's that's something that like, you know, from both sides of the fence to like uh really kind of think about because like the amount of polarizations that's been happening with these groups before that 
is a much, 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 much longer time, right? Uh, and so that stuff is really difficult or interesting to uproot and to face because that's what it really turns into this like sense of belonging where I think belonging looks like this and you think belonging looks like this. Well, why can't we create a sense of belonging that's shared together? And remember, the conversations have been all of these conversations, racial conversations, gender conversations um, and uh, and. Uh, um, you know, sexual uh, 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 orientation conversations, they've been going on for a long time. All of these groups have been fighting for rights for a long time. And uh, uh, even in terms of, you know, uh, colonialism and, and indigenous populations, right? These conversations, it's just they're in the forefront now. So when you talk about Pinaki, that it's going too fast, it's going to, uh, it's not going fast enough. What you'll see is from a, a uh, for, for some people, it's going too fast. They can't keep up. Other people are saying, we've been fighting for hundreds, thousands of years. And finally, we're, the conversation is the, at the forefront. So the conversation has shifted to, to have more attention than it ever has before. Priya, you, you said something I really loved, which is, um, and I, I think it's something that a lot of organizations do without thinking about it. Uh, when they're recruiting for talent, they are looking for, often they're looking for uh, candidates that would represent a good cultural fit. And I, and I love what you're saying about um, this just kind of reinforces that you're just looking for people who are just like yourself as opposed to a cultural ad um, and adding to the culture. But uh, one of the things, and all of us, you know, growing up through high school and with our teenagers going through high school, one of the most natural things, and Pinaki, you talked about this um, at, at the uh, the front end of uh, of this episode is the the presence of cliques. You know, there's cliques that form. It's the most natural thing in larger groups that you start to congregate with people that are like yourselves, that have similar interests, that have similar taste in music and similar taste in clothes and things like that. And um, you know, I, I I'd love to hear your perspective, Priya, um, about. You know, how do you how do you get to a point or do we get to a point where we try to um, do away with clicks in the workplace? Because I think that does reinforce uh, some of these categories. And how do we get to a place where everybody genuinely does feel included? Just because if I come in, I'm a visible minority. Let's say English is a second language and I don't have that much in common with a lot of my new colleagues. What does that look like? And how do I feel like I belong? How do I feel included? I don't think we're ever going to fight what is human nature. We, we tend to, to come together with the people that we have things in common with, you know, and, and we have similar interests with, and there's things that we can learn. I, I think that that's where, like, in our personal relationships, that absolutely is going to be the case. And there's, we're not going to force people. I think where the conversation allows us to, to look at our friends, our family and say, hey, is there more I can learn if I expand that network? Right. And, and, and I think that that is a bit of a personal development opportunity. The other thing is that from a professional standpoint, what are we trying to accomplish here? So really, I start with the values. I'm, I'm the internal communication professional first, right? That's what I've done for 30 years. You start with the values and then you're working towards strategy and goals and measurable outcomes. One of the things we talk about in the book is 
take a look at representation. So we, we talk about, we have a whole chapter. It's our first chapter is on DIY. Why are we doing? So even when we're talking about belonging, why is it important that people belong? What are the conditions we need to create to make sure they belong? What does belonging mean to the organization? It doesn't mean everybody has to have different friend groups. It means people need to feel heard. They need to have a chance to contribute. We need to be looking at different perspectives. I just watched Air, and uh, which was a, which is a great movie, and really thinking about that shift in thinking, you know, and and how they and how that moment changed so many things for how uh, Nike and other companies around the world marketed and opened up markets. There was a line in that movie where they said, oh, where they decided to give Michael Jordan a percentage of sales. And and Phil says, well, what are we going to sell? Three million? He'll get a percentage of three million. It's not the end of the world. And that first year, the sales were 162 million of Air Jordans in the first year. He's made billions off of this. And you sit there and that's the opportunity. So when we're talking about the why, this is a big world. Most of us are working for organizations, governments, NGOs that serve diverse populations, communities, and customers. We, in at the bottom of our organizations or at the front line of our organizations, we are seeing an incredible amount of diversity, right? So are we actually serving our employees and our customers and our communities to the extent we can when we're thinking from a very limited point of view? That's such a, that's such a powerful point you made there, right? <clears throat> it's not about like, uh, from a diversity standpoint, it's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's diversity for diverse modes of thought, diverse uh thoughts being introduced to the table to help us to really kind of grow and think in terms of not just the same normal ways that we have been thinking. So, you know, even like uh, I, I always go back to this HBR study a while ago. I said the, the, the best problem solving teams have psychological safety and diversity of thought, right? Because if you don't have diversity of thought, I think, I think you automatically like breed in weakness. Which is why I feel like I've always had this very interesting view of like DEI initiatives from like a leadership because I have and run a, a company built by minorities, right? And and it was funny when you think about like how how new this is. I kind of came into the place naive, thinking like, well, isn't the world like this already? Um, you know, the workforce. But then you come into the workforce, you're like, wait, it's not diverse, right? And the sense of belonging, uh, right, around right, creating like cliques and groups and things like that, those are like kind of like your networks that you create. I don't think they will ever go away. In fact, I think we need them in order to create a tighter sense of belonging because it's a matter of like, you know, how can we bring multiple groups together, but at the same time, keep their own identity, which keeps them special in that of itself. So what's wild in thinking about belonging is that you really can't have a sense of belonging without the sense of not belonging, right? It's, it's, it's like light, you, you know, and dark, right? You can't have one without the other in that way, right? And, and maybe part of it is appreciation, right? Like it's not, exactly. it's not about being like everybody else. It's being able to show up as yourself and be appreciated for that. 
Absolutely. And being accepted for who you are, what you bring to the table and and for yourself to be able, you know, for individuals to feel belonging in order for them to bring that to the table and for others to be open to say, you know what, this is going to be a different perspective. But you know what? It's a perspective that that needs to be um, what's the word? Have the same weight as every other perspective. I love the idea that, uh, you know, we're trying to foster environments where people can feel like they can be themselves. Um, one of the, one of the questions that I had was related to leaders at organization and the perception of what a leader looks like. Um, and you know, sometimes you'll, you'll hear about the term uh, leadership material, and I think the um, the prevailing idea of what a leader looks like for so long was that it is um, someone who has that more that alpha type A type of of personality. Um, where, you know, pre- I have to think that the the the, the modern leader um, is different. I, I think the modern and evolved leader uh, is more empathetic, has a higher EQ, um, and isn't necessarily you know top down command and control and permission based uh, leading. Um, what, what are your thoughts on how? the perception of what a leader looks like today how is it evolving or do we still have a ways to go is is it even a thing or uh you know what's your sense on progress that we've made in terms of identifying a new breed of leadership i i think that that that's the opportunity right in terms of not creating a box of characteristics that defines what a leader is um, so much of that command and control came from military, uh, you know, and and success on a sports uh, a sports field, right? There's a there's a certain idea that comes from a male point of view that says this is what leadership should look like because that's been the norm, and and I think that there's you know there's been conversations about servant leadership. There's conversations about empathy. When I've I've worked with a lot of leaders who are very different from one another, and there are organ, you know, we often say there are evolutionary leaders, those that are come in who keep the lights on and just keep things moving a little bit, and then you have revolutionary leaders have, who have to be brought in to drive change every now and then. Very different styles, right? Who are required at a certain time based on what the goals are of that organization or that country or whatever it is, right? So so it really is where, where where are you trying to go and who's the right leader who's going to take you there? And it shouldn't fall into a box that says this is what leadership looks like and feels like. And and we get to a point where, you know, what was there was a study years ago about all leaders, uh, most successful leaders were over six feet tall. Like, yeah. I'm never getting there, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Right. Like there were studies on this that we had this impression of like, you know, they all looked the same. They all sounded the same. They all had the same height, for goodness sake. Like, oh, my goodness. Right. Like we try to create these patterns. And I think the goal is to say, wait a minute, maybe really we need to think more radically when we're trying to drive change, because that's what's going to emerge. And and that's where we're going to get the the innovation and the results that we're looking for. That's so true. I think that's what it is, right? Neurologically, we're all like pattern recognizers, and and we need to be, right? And th- those that's where some of these patterns come from. But 
I guess that's like what we're doing in this podcast. What we're asking everyone to do is perhaps it's time to break the pattern, right? So as we wrap up this uh, this episode, maybe we could just talk about just one or, one or two things both of you think uh, we could talk to our listeners about or tell our listeners on how to create a little bit more belonging in their workplace or within themselves or people around them. Any piece of advice you have to share? So I could, I guess I could start, um, you know, read our book, (laughs) buy our book, (laughs) Building a Culture of Inclusivity, Effective Internal Communications for uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. Uh, But a lot of the book is about reflection, right? And so each of the chapters talk about ask yourself questions, take a look at representation, Take a really understand your values, really understand where your organization is trying to go. It's not one of the things I learned from a consulting perspective, and it's the same from a personal perspective, is it never should be a one size fits all formula. I think that's weak when organizations and individuals are looking for a formula that works. It's the same old, same old. If we're looking at trying to be different and break through Let's actually get rid of the formula and and actually start with the research and understanding in order to drive that end result. And I I, I really couldn't agree more, uh, Priya, about that. I I, I I I still cringe when I see organizations that are just looking to check the box. And I still remember, you know, I was at this uh, conference in New York uh, where Advita was actually presenting. Uh, on you know the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and towards the end during the the Q and A uh, section, somebody had put up their hand and asked, you know, what is the bare minimum that our, our organization needs to do in order to be considered an inclusive organization? And I think it's exactly the wrong way to think about this. There is no minimum, uh, and there is no maximum. And I think for me, the the most important starting point is A, first of all, acknowledging, and we, we talked about this at the, at the top of the podcast, which is, you know, none of us are experts and we're never going to be 100% in understanding what every single person is going through and how, you know, they can feel like they can all belong. All we can do is just continue to incrementally try to improve the, the environment. But one of the things that uh, I, I think is important for everyone to acknowledge is that Every single one of us has unconscious biases, uh, whether we like to admit it or not. I think it's just more important to understand what they are and be able to adapt accordingly. And, you know, one of the, the things I talked about at a, a recent conference I, I spoke at was um, Harvard has a tool. It's called the Harvard's, uh, I think it's called the Implicit Association Test. And I got to tell you, I, I took it and it was really uncomfortable. But when I talked about it, because uh, it helps you understand better what your own unconscious biases are. And when I talked about it at this conference, the best thing happened, which is every single person in the room started writing down the name of the test. Because uh, I think that's the most important starting point is understanding where are you and what are your own uh, unconscious biases and just embracing the fact that we do have these, but we do have to find ways to overcome them and not let them uh, color our actions or our way of thinking. And I think it's a great starting point is to, to really be truthful and understand yourself. So, so great to hear that. So thank you both of you on, on, on that note. I think, I think as like organizations, one of the things I've learned too is that, you know, most folks don't have a very diverse friend circle. 
or a circle of influence. Where they get that is through the workplace. So the workplace being uh, more diverse, more open, more belonging, would I think have a ripple effect for all of society. So I think there's a there's a very interesting and big role that corporations and companies could play because we spend this much time with each other. That's it for this episode of Why Does It Feel So Wrong to Be Human at Work. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This episode was truly heart-hitting uh, and, and hitting home right now for us. Uh, it was so great to talk about this out loud. It feels like it's been sitting in me. So awesome to have Priya here joining us uh, uh, to, <laughs> make, uh, to make sure that you know we're talking about this right. I told Priya earlier on that she might have to hold me back because I'm so uh, emotional on this topic, right? To everyone, how well do you belong in your workplace? Do you have tips or words of wisdom that you'd like to share? Let us know. We're on LinkedIn, TikTok. You can email us at why does it feel so wrong at localwisdom.com. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. I'm Panaki Kathiari, CEO of Local Wisdom and American-born Confused Desi. <laughs> Joining me is my partner in uh, setting it straight, Chris Lee, Vice President of Communications at Gallagher and advocator for people that run our businesses. We're extremely thankful to have Priya Bates, the voice of reason and a beacon in this world of complexity. And yes, legend. (laughs) Thank you both. Quick shout out to Local Wisdom, localwisdom.com. If you need help taking a look at your diversity programs or your employee resource groups and communities, if they could use some support, or if you just want to talk about it, give these people a call, localwisdom.com, or give Priya Bates a call at innerstrength.com. Honest, real, good conversations. Thank you all. Make sure you follow us and we'll see you again next week. Bye.